I'm with John Sullivan, who I think is in the region of Rimouski, Quebec. Welcome, John. Thank you, Claude, for the invitation. Oh, you're most welcome. I've been looking forward to this. You know, it's been a long time since I've wanted to speak with you about the things you do. Uh, and I want to just tell the story of I first uh, contacted you, or at least first time I read about your work. You you still write a, a column, a monthly column for the Artists and Climate Change um, publication. And I was really impressed by your writing and and the issues and the way also every month you would, uh, you know, develop your ideas about your art practice and the state of the world and so on. And it's sort of a parallel track to my podcast. And in, in a way, it's like a public uh, sharing of, of what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and, and you don't hesitate to, mm. to say how yes. you really feel, and nor do I. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's, I think that's part of trying to work our way through the climate emergency is to be as honest as we can about Absol- what we're doing. Absolutely. So let's, let's start with where the way I often start is just uh, have you introduce yourself, talk a bit about your background, how you got into uh, art, because I know you have a science background, which is fascinating. Uh, start there, and then we'll hear about some of your uh, recent work, because that's also really interesting for me. So, Joan, who are you? Well... I actually wanted to start by telling a story because I think I think the story will uh, help your listeners understand how I how I came to, to, to transition from thirty years of documentary photography to um, my new my new love, which is abstract photography about the climate crisis. So this is a true story. It it really happened to me, and. Um, you know, it's going to take about five minutes, okay? Um, I think you'll see the connections to my past life as I go through. I love stories. <laughs> okay, good. And, and uh, just sort of like as a, as a feather in your cap, um, I've never shared this story um, in English before. I, I, I shared it in French at the end of uh, a two-year program at the University of Quebec in Rimouski during our, our final uh, colloquium. So it's been said publicly in French, but never in English. So here you go. Um, It's New Year's Day 2020. Okay. I'm I'm standing on the shores. I'm I'm actually walking, taking an afternoon walk along the shores of the St. Lawrence River. And in front of me, um, if you've ever been to Rimouski, you know that the St. Lawrence River in this part is not is no longer called a river. It's called la mer, the sea, because it's so wide. So I'm standing there on the shores of the river, and in front of me is this absolutely magnificent landscape, huge, big skies, kind of reminding me a little bit of of my years in Africa. And there was no wind that day. Uh, There's no ice on the river. And the St. Lawrence was therefore like a huge mirror, that was reflecting the, 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 the colors of the winter sky, you know, right into the water. You could hardly tell the difference between sky and water. And that particular afternoon, the sky was this profoundly deep orangey red color. And it was, it was beautiful. It was breathtakingly beautiful. But at the same time, it was a beauty full of dread, dread because that river should be white. It should be full of ice. And it looked to me like it was on fire. Okay. The same day, I don't know if you remember New Year's Day 2020, but uh, when I woke up, the images um, in, the, in the papers and on the internet were these 
blood red skies in Australia. Okay, Australia was on fire. Um, they later called it um, the Black Summer of Australia, and and I mean these were like ca catastrophic uh, ecological disaster in, in Australia. The, the the whole forests were not just burned; they were incinerated. The animals, the kangaroos, the koalas, they were carbonized, and and yet their carcasses were found on on the fences as the animals tried to flee. And I was at the same time worried about my daughter who lived, who still lives in Australia. So there I am all alone on the shores of the St. Lawrence. And, you know, I'm thinking two sides of the planet, you know, one is metaphorically on fire. The other is really on fire. And I'm all alone witnessing one single global catastrophe, right? And um, it, it was, I had a breakdown. You know, I literally... I broke down in tears. Um, you know, in French, uh, I can say, je suis au bord du fleuve et au bord des larmes. Huh? It, it, it does not translate very well in English, but you would say, standing on the edge of the river and starting to cry. You know, it's, it's, more, it's stronger in French. But the thing is, visually, you know, if you're a photographer, the, the images would be more dramatic if I was in Australia. You know, that, those uncontrollable fires generated an avalanche of visceral images that, that I think are going to stay in our collective conscious, consciousness, you know, for generations. But if you've ever stood on the shores of a winter river that has no ice, it's kind of, you know, gray, right? That particular day it wasn't gray. But in general, a winter river is just sort of meandering through a grayish landscape. It's, it's banal. It's... It's not visually dramatic. And it occurred to me that very day that the, 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 the worst possible thing is that it, it's, it becomes normal to see a river without ice. It's becoming normal. And it is not normal. Um, so I, I didn't know what to do. I'm all alone, you know. Um, I just take my camera and, and, and I... I tried to take a photo of this orange, you know, metaphorically on fire river, but my hands were shaking. You know, it was like click, click, click. And, and you know, each image was blurred and, and I just deleted them all. So I started again. I tried to hold the camera, you know, close to my chest to, to like steady it. And my hands were shaking. And it was the strangest thing. It's never happened to me in 30 years of photography, that, that I couldn't stop my hands. And it suddenly dawned on me that I, my hands were shaking not because of the cold, but because of an anger, you know, this deep, profound anger about our collective indifference in the face of climate breakdown. We're just carrying on with our lives as if, you know, la la la, and nothing's, nothing's bad's happening. So there was this sense of rage, I mean, like, honestly, it's surprising how, how, how strong it, you know, violent rage just sort of coming out of me. I wanted to scream. And I just, you know, took my camera and I, I just moved it violently, right, left, up, down. And almost, I suppose it was almost like I was like drowning in the water. You know, my arms were just doing everything. And I was holding down the shutter the whole time. You know, 20, 30, 40 photos at a time. And I did it over and oh, I was just 
I was just, I was just beside myself. And, you know, at some point, you, you just stop. And, you know, you're staring out at the river. And I just felt helpless. I just didn't know what to do. And then, uh, what happened next, what I was not expecting. It was a total, it was a total surprise. I realized I needed to delete all those, all those images. And before doing that, I just took a quick look at the screen, you know, at the back of my camera. And yes, the majority were, were blurry and, you know, they needed to be deleted. But there were a few that were just, that, that, that surprised me. They were, like, strangely beautiful. And, it, you know, it was like the, the, the digital sensor inside the camera was able to capture something intriguing about the chaos of climate change. And that, that thing that the camera captured was invisible to my eye, you know? My eye saw fire, and, um, but, but the camera captured, the, there was a certain beauty and, and, and luminosity of the chaos, and it was inside the camera. And, and, and it gave me the feeling, you know, as, as, as I move my arms, you know, you sort of like, what you're doing is you're, you're pulling light and you're pulling pixels across the, the sensor. And it looked like the light was liquid. It was just so surprising. And um, suddenly, and I'm sure you, you have had this experience, but for me it was the first time, suddenly everything just sort of like stopped, you know, whoa, what, what's happening? It was a very profound moment, and, and I was speechless. And I was just sort of looking at this camera and then looking in front of me and then looking at the screen. Like it was two different images, right, completely. One was full of dread, and then one was full of, full of light. So profound. So I, I, I realized, I think later, it wasn't at the on the shore, but later, you know, I'm trying to process what happened to me that day. Um, I needed to stop, as a photographer, stop trying to control every single detail, every single element in my photos, you know. I, I didn't use a tripod. I wasn't focusing on any one thing. It was just all m movement. And I need to go more with the flow as an artist. I need to just let go and experience it and, and embrace... Um, I don't know, let's say embrace the unexpected. That's kind of what happened that day. And finally, um, you know, I was still a student at, at, at the University of Quebec in Rimouski at that time, and, and I realized, uh, talking to some of my colleagues, that I just needed to, like, dive into the chaos of climate change, to, to become, to become one with the chaos, recognizing that I am part of climate change, you know? It's not just me and then everyone else. It, it, we're, we are all contributing in, in our own ways, and I needed to become one with. And hence, that's the title of my, my new project, which is Je suis fleuve. In English, you would say literally, but maybe not poetically, I am river, or I am, I am, I don't know, I don't know how you would translate it, but Je suis fleuve. Fleuve is the, is the St. Lawrence River in French. Uh, it's just so beautiful. 
and becoming one with the fleuve. And I want to stop my little story there and cite Chantal Bilodeau, who wrote, uh, Chantal is the founder of um, many things, but um, the, the one that I write for is called Artist and Climate Change, as you already mentioned. And she wrote an article in 2016 about uh, theater in the age of climate change. And she said something really, really profound. And it, and it stays with me. She said, it, this was in terms of, of, of playwrights, um, we need to stop making art about climate change and we need to start making art that is climate change. And the is is really important. That's the embodiment. We need to become, as artists, we need to become climate change in order to find new ways of, of, of expressing ourselves uh, so that maybe we can find a new way that, to connect with our audiences. And I spent 30 years documenting poverty in Africa and documenting the energy transition. And I always sort of felt a little, you know, high on, high on, how do you say that expression, uh, kind of a elitist uh, um, uh, approach that if I give people facts, facts about the transition, facts about energy, they'll just magically, you know, understand what I'm trying to say. And of course, after, I think I did wind, wind construction photography for about 10 years, and I, and I, I just suddenly realized um, I'm barking uh, I'll say it this way. I'm shouting into the wind. You know, no one's listening. Um, I have to find an, a new language. And I found that new language on New Year's Day 2020, standing all alone on the edge of the St. Lawrence River. And uh, for me, it's, 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 about, it's about not only becoming one with my subject, but playing with that tension between you know, the, the, the past and the future, between hope and despair, between light and dark. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm much, I'm much more focused now on, on, on that place in, in my artistic practice. And, and that's where I'm going to be hanging out for the next few years. It, it's, it's, it's a process. It's, it's, I'm, I'm experimenting. I'm not, I'm not thinking about um, selling my work or, or, you know, who's going to like this work. I, I'm doing it because I need to do it. I've found my place. And it's the first time in 30 years, I can honestly tell you, Claude, that I'm, I'm really, really loving photography. It's just, it's a gift. That's where I am now. So, John, that's a great beginning of our conversation because you answered many of my questions and uh, interests because I, I wanted you to talk about uh, that embodiment idea. But if we can step back a bit so that just people know where you've come from. You've talked a bit about your time in Africa and, and this and that, but without going too much detail, because I always put um, notes in the, uh, in the episode notes, but uh, I mean, a bio, link to your bio, but just tell us a bit about your background and how you came into this work. You're obviously interested now in the notion of embodiment, but it's probably been with you all the time and you were sort of come going deeper into that, <laughs> that space, but uh, how did it all start? Oh, Lord. Um, well, 
I have to say that I grew up in a very artistic family. Um, you know, architects, photographers, dancers, cooks, uh, singers, whatever. Um, and when I got to the point of choosing what to study in university, I completely turned my back on art. And I chose the sciences. Um, um, and uh, although um, I, I, don't, I don't regret that decision at all, um, I, in fact, I give credit to the fact that I had a master's in, in public health, which sent me to Africa in the, in the late 1990s. And it was in Africa that my, I rediscovered, you know, this interest in, in photography. My dad was a photographer and there were cameras all over the house, you know, so I never needed to go to school to study photography. It just sort of happened by osmosis, living in that beautiful home. But it was in Africa, you know, big skies, which I alluded to earlier, um, very similar to this part of Quebec. Um, you know, landscape, um, people, uh, cultures, music. It was very stimulating artistically. And I had this, I had this desk job. I was a bad bureaucrat for the United Nations. And I, I don't know. I, I, I hung out long enough, but at age 50, boom, I just knew, uh, I just knew that I was much happier behind a camera than I was in front of a boardroom, you know, I just, just couldn't do it. So, um, against the advice of everyone, you know, friends, family, colleagues, you know, you're, you're crazy, you're crazy to leave this international career. Um, what are you going to do? I want to become a photographer. But what are you going to photograph? I don't know. I just want to be a photographer. So we moved back to my husband and my daughter, and I moved back to um, Quebec. We lived in Montreal for a year. Um, and during that year, we uh, started looking for a farm. You know, let's buy a farm. So we found a farm in the lower St. Lawrence region, which is sort of halfway between Quebec City and Gaspé, on, on that peninsula that sticks out in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. And um, neither one of Jean or I had any farming experience, but we became farmers. Um, we're now actually certified organic garlic growers, and um, we're, we're, we're doing very well, uh, which means that in the summer months, I'm more of a farmer or a farmer's assistant, and in the winter, I'm free. So, uh, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of winter photography. In fact, I'm invited uh, next month to a, a part of a roundtable discussion here in Rimouski to discuss um, uh, w w with, a, with a sound engineer and a, and, a, and, a, and a filmmaker how to capture sound and light, sound and images in, in winter. What are the challenges? So that's coming up next month. But um, yeah, I spend most of the winter um, walking around with my you know, heavily dressed, crampons on the bottom of my boots and um, I did a lot of wind construction photography in the winter as well which which was very exhilarating I guess I've left out that chapter of my life yeah uh, after we bought the farm um, I had a chance uh, serendipitous uh, meeting with someone on an airplane and um, turns out he was the manager of a wind construction project about an hour from my home and he hired me for two weeks to, to come and take some photos which I'd never done before and then that two-week contract became a two-year contract and then another client and then you know it's just like snowballed and um, 
for 10 years, I was the only, as far as I can tell, the only woman photographer in, definitely in Quebec and possibly all of Canada, who was devoted 100% to documenting the energy transition. And it was, it was a privilege. It was great. But you know what? One day I just woke up and I realized I was bored. I don't know if that's ever happened to you in your artistic practice, but I just realized I'd done 10 years of my life and um, it was time for something new, but I didn't know what it was. And it was like two years later that I had this experience um, standing on the edge of the, the, the river in the middle of winter. Yeah, there was this two-year period of a lot of doubt and, and questioning and what am I going to do and, you know, eco-anxiety. Bam! January 1st, 2020, a door opened and I just walked right through and, and it just felt so natural. It wasn't planned. I never planned to become an abstract photographer. It was like abstract photography found me, you know, through my eco anxiety. It's just, it's just, um, it's a very emotional, sensorial kind of photography that I've never done. It's experimental. I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm just having, I'm having a really good time. It's just, it's just been amazing. Well, I'm having a good time listening to you speak about these things because it's, uh, you, you've you've had moments of of uh, d darkness in your life in the sense of in your writings, you know, uh, talking about solastalgia, solastalgia, and and related issues, and we've corresponded about that. And, and I, you know, I do agree that there's a collective indifference. I, I think of it as a type of denial or, or maybe a lack of empowerment, you know. People don't feel that they have the agency to change. Um, but you're working in the arts, so you're thinking that the arts can make a difference, you know, maybe at a small scale, but perhaps also at a large scale. Uh, uh, how, how do you see that? How do you see that the arts make a difference? You know, they raise our awareness, of course, but uh, how can the arts, I mean, they're transforming you as an individual, it sounds like, uh, but what about your audiences and the public more, more generally? How can it have impact? But that, that was one of the things I learned working on um, HIV AIDS in Africa. You know, we, we came with our scientific uh, baggage from New York and London and Paris, and we all, you know, meet up in Africa and it's like, we know what these people need. You know, we've got all the scientific facts. And, you know, if they don't listen to us, well, that's their own problem. I mean, it was really a, a very patronizing, <laughs> colonial sort of view of how to, how to help slow down the epidemic in Africa. And I think it's the same with, with climate change. We, increasing knowledge, I don't believe, is what we need to do. It's what I, it's what I learned in Africa with AIDS, and there are, you know, we could have another conversation another time. There are incredible similarities between the AIDS epidemic and the climate crisis, the, 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 the way that, you know, denial and, 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 and governments, you know, dragging their feet. Um, probably I should write about that some, someday. But anyway, um, trying to give people scientific knowledge about AIDS did not change behavior. And I think it's the same thing about climate. You know, the more, and I was doing it for 10 years. I was trying to make people excited about the energy transition. Um, but it, there's something cultural missing. And, and I think that's where artists need to focus on. It's, and that's why I think the sense of embodiment not only um, 
for me as an artist, but for the public. How do we get them to sort of feel it viscerally? I think that's our role. It's, it's not about statistics and degrees centigrade and, you know, doomsday scenarios in the future um, and more and more reports, you know, they're just getting more and more ominous. I think people are turning off. Um, it's like telling someone who smokes to stop smoking, you know, it's bad for you. Um, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So I would argue that artists need to really um, uh, look deep inside um, more of, of sort of, it's, it's, I think you're, you're, you had an interview with um, an, another person uh, earlier. Sorry, what's her name? Um, Shannon. What is Shannon's last name? Litzenberger, yeah. That's it, Litzenberger. She said in her, in her, um, in the podcast that you had with her, that uh, art as a system of knowledge, um, art as a way of knowing, and she talked about embodiment. Um, I really think she's on to something there. Um, and it's more about the practice, the artistic practice as a form of knowledge, not necessarily the result, what we produce, but it's that relationship. And in my case, it's, that, it's, it's becoming one with the chaos that's worked for me. I'm not saying it will work for everyone, but the artistic practice is where we need to be looking at. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And how does it make us feel? And in my case, it was um, liberating to embrace the chaos that is in front of me. Uh, because earlier, I, would, I, I was afraid of, of the chaos, and I would hold back and just photograph beautiful you know, wind turbines blowing in the wind. You know, I don't think we need any more nice photos of wind turbines blowing in the wind. I think we need to go deeper, much deeper. And that's what we'll talk to people, I think. But I, hey, I you know. Ed, I agree with you. Uh, I'm going to play an excerpt of Shannon's uh, podcast now just so that people can be reminded of her, some of her own words. I mean, I would, I would first and foremost love to see artists really lean into experimentation with their creative practices and to share that what comes out of those practices, the learning and experimentation with each other. I mean, I think that's something that even as a community of, of art makers, we can get better at. But what that then also does is it starts to socialize learning about what art as a system of knowledge production is, right? And this is, I think, how we start to disentangle ourselves from the, the ways that we're trying to solve this, this challenge or the ways that we're trying to, like even, even thinking about what is happening right now as a problem to fix is, is maybe part of the dilemma <laughs> to begin with, right? And that art as a way of knowing, I think, is so critical. Now that we've heard Shannon, um, I'm interested in your the the idea of embodiment because it's relatively new to me. Even though I've heard dance artists and other artists talk about it for years, there are different interpretations of it, of course. Uh, and you've explained pretty well what it's uh, what it's meant to you, at least uh, in that uh, <laughs> pivotal moment in January of 2020. But um, I. 
Okay, so let's say that artists uh, do touch people in, outside of the knowledge transfer into more deeply into their emotions. Uh, will that then change people's behavior? Um, and maybe that shouldn't be the expectation because what I'm hearing from you is that the, the, the process itself brings you into uh, another state of uh, being, of relating to the world, and then you don't know how you're going to change. You can't just say, well, I'm going to recycle more because I, I experience art. It's not that, you know, nah, nah, nah. But, but <laughs> there's a simplistic approach. And then there's this sort of grounded approach that, that we are artists in the sense that we are always sensitive. We are sensitive to what's around us, but sometimes we need, we need people to help us access it. Like maybe that's what artists do. They bring us into experiences that we're already living, like your, your, your experience by the water there. So that's what I find is interesting uh, as, as this whole thing. Like we're up to episode 95. By the way, today is uh, December 20th, 2021. I always like to say the date. Uh, I've been doing 94 podcasts so far. And what you're saying today is, is not that it's new, but it's deeper. It's like evolving in my mind, in your mind, and hopefully in the minds of listeners. So thank you, Joan, for uh, sharing your experiences throughout your writings and your career. But I'm also really curious to see what you're going to work on in the next few years, because you seem to be onto a path that feels very uh, good to you in terms of uh, a positive path forward and uh, those kinds of things, because it, it can get pretty dark out there. <laughs> I started out as, as a... As a documentary photographer, you know, it was all about getting printed in magazines and, 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 and you know, online. And it, it was all about just the two-dimensional image. And I've just gone through uh, four art exhibits in the last two years where, um, I mean, your listeners can't see behind me, but, you know, um, 20 by 30 inch um, photos uh, on walls inside of, of art centers and galleries. And, you know, as, as, as proud as I am of that, uh, I don't think that, that I want to keep doing that. It's kind of like how I felt um, when I stopped photographing wind turbines. You know, um, I will continue to work as a photographer, but in a sustainable art practice uh, is printing my work, you know, with, with all the inks, and the and the glazes and the and the vinyl and you know is is that what I want to do? And I had a wonderful art artist residency um, at a art center called Vaste et Vague. It's in Carleton sur Mer in, in eastern Quebec. Uh, I had that uh, a few months ago, and it, and that was where I realized I came to the realization I need to stop. Uh, I need to minimize my my. Uh, ecological footprint of my artistic practice. So the future, I think, for me, and 2022 will, will tell, will be um, instead of printing my images and hanging them on a wall, I'm going to be projecting my images um, either directly onto the walls of the gallery or maybe even on um, diaphanous textiles, you know, uh, that, that are... I, I visualize it as hanging from the, the the ceiling, but not attached to anything, so that they're they're kind of like you know gently flowing with the, the natural air circulation of the room, to give the sense of river, you know, the currents of the river, and added to that, I want to add sound, sound recordings of of the of the melting ice, for me is like a, a cry of the beluga whale. Um, I want to add sound recordings to my, my projected images to create 
I, I guess the word is an immersive experience for the visitors. Um, so they maybe can feel, have this embodied feeling to be in the river, hearing the sounds, feeling the moving, you know, uh, textiles. That's where I want to go. And I hope that these textiles can be reused or uh, recycled. Um, um, I'm even thinking about printing on Braille paper because, but I need to find a printer like that can make it on large format Braille paper, which is hard to find because it's, it underscores the, uh, the idea that we are blind. We do not see the changes in front of us. They are right there and we're looking elsewhere. Um, and uh, I, I'm going to be exploring uh, in the next few weeks how to get access to some of this paper. So that's where I'm heading. We'll see. It's all experimental. It's not commercial. I don't know, you know, who's interested in it, and it doesn't matter. I think that this is what I, I, I know that I can do to help someone else feel the urgency to act in whatever way they want. I'm not telling anybody what to do, but I just want them to feel the, to own to own the crisis. We are all part of the problem. And we are all part of the solution. How's that for a, a concluding remark? <laughs> well, that's that's a good concluding remark, but I'm not sure I'm done oh, yet. Okay. <laughs> because I do want... Oh, go ahead. No, but I, I think we're close because you've, you've, you've basically presented the core of your ideas and some of your background in... Um, and, and you've talked about the role of art, which is something I've come back to many times, and, and people can make up their own minds on what they believe to be the role of art, but I keep exploring it and poking away at it, and, and every time people come up with uh, ideas that I, I find refreshing, because to create art in isolation can be a very good thing. You step back from society, you create a work of art, and you bring it into society, but if we're actually going to be climate change, we sort of need to be in the front lines of, of society um, as well, right? So that's where the, the impact of the work is important so that people can, and I've seen your photography and I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it because it, 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 it's similar to my wow. sound work, right? It's, it's like exper experiential. Mm. It's trying to, to touch something that I can't quite, quite can't explain, but through art, somehow it, it makes more sense. Life makes more sense. So on another time, not today, I would love to go deeper into that this idea that we we are climate change. How how can people approach that in a way that is um, I wouldn't say celebratory, but but certainly positive in the sense that you want to to feel what's happening to our planet because not everything around us is bad, right? There is a lot of regenerative practices. There are uh, indigenous knowledge uh, experiences Wait. or. or uh, processes that are coming back to our world and and so we kind of have to get through this the collapse because the collapse is almost inevitable it's been baked in for years and then what will come after and how will artists and cultural workers and and uh, people who who have a sense of vision be able to to contribute to that I won't even call it rebuilding because it's almost um it's almost an absence of words at a certain point. You, you, you get into this rhetoric about climate change and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes you just say, step back, stop talking and, and listen 
and try to feel our way through the complexity. Uh, I think that's what your artwork is trying to do. And I, I, I find myself in that headspace now. It's, you know, that we're at the end of December. It's like the end of a long calendar year. It's been difficult with COVID. I, I want to recluse myself for a bit. I'm writing a, a radio piece myself that's about winter sounds. Oh, I can't. <laughs> that will be the last Maybe episode. we'll have to work together on, on, on combining your winter sound and my winter well, photography. Yes, I've started recording already, and it's very exciting to to be able to have that uh, possibility. Of, it's, it's an homage to Mary Schaefer, a piece we, oh, we yes. first did uh, in 1997. So it's called uh, Winter Winter Diary Revisited. But all that to say that it's it's good to keep these communication channels open, talking about what we're experiencing, like you've done in your in your writings and your blogs and in your artwork. Because I just find it, uh, it it breaks the isolation and it, it opens possibilities. Um, and I, I appreciate also the work you did on uh, on climate. I mean, on energy. Uh, I think that work is valuable, right? Because it 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 showed us inside. I love seeing the workers, you know, the the, the real people in the field. That, so I, we won't get into that so much now. But uh, is there anything you want to end with? This this will yeah, be the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I do want to add one thing about those workers. Um, because yep. my original attraction to the uh, to the energy transition, uh, to the, I spent ten years on construction sites. Okay, I was surrounded by dust and heavy machinery, and you know, um, it was something I never had grown up with. Um, and I was seduced by the beauty of those unbelievable long blades, you know, white blades, blue sky, red crane, you know, it was very ge geometric for me. But after, you know, the first five years or so, I realized this isn't about machines, this is about humans. And I started calling it the human transition, as opposed to the energy transition, because a lot of these workers were, not all of them, but some of them, and I think even increasingly more and more, uh, used to work in the oil and glass oil and gas industry and they've left the oil and gas industry to build our future and so I, i'm i'm only alluding to this human transition because that's what's needed right now in this climate not just for artists but for everyone we are entering um uh we are we find ourselves in a liminal space right now and liminal space means it's that time between what was and and what's next that's where we are um it's it's a it's a it's a it's a place of not knowing. And unless all of us humans, and not just artists, um, recognize that we are already in a transition, not just an energy transition, but a cultural, a, a, a democratic, um, a, a social transition, there is an end. There, there, we will come out of this. No one knows how, but we will pass through. It's inevitable. Um, and what waits on the other side is up to us to design. So in our next talk, let's let's talk about liminality, um, um, transitions. Um, I would very much like to do that because I've started reading more and more about it. I'm not yet up to up to snuff, but uh, I think that will be our next conversation. Très bien. Thank you so much, Joan Sullivan, for this you know initial conversation because I'm starting to have second conversations oh. now. I've, met, I've talked to Seth Klein, I've talked to Kendra Fanconi, and others, because the, the, the purpose of this is is for my own learning, but to share learning and and people evolve. Their their ideas mm. change. Uh, they they refer back, so you can have a third part or a fourth part, as long as it's engaging for the listener, which I think it is. Uh, talking about uh, our, our passion for art and culture. 
and our, our deep belief that it can make not only a difference, it's actually the path forward. Like you say, it's a cultural yes. transition. And uh, so, you know, oh, wait, let's, let's make, let's make or, or break culture, right? It's both making and breaking. That, that's, a, that's a great New Year's resolution. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. We'll Thanks stop so there. Much, Thank Bill. you, John. Bye-bye.